to the Starting With One podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Our goal is to provide our audience with interesting, relevant information on Canadian healthcare, financial and estate planning issues, and running a business. With each episode, Robin and Al will be exploring topics that matter to you. Starting With One is built off of our experience that we enhance the lives of many starting with one. Every great story that we get to share all started with one phone call, one conversation, or one meeting. These are the stories that make us very proud to do what we do, and it all starts with one. Welcome back to another episode of the Starting With One podcast. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, along with my business partner and co-host, as always, Al McDonald. Hello, Al. Hey, Robin. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty well, considering the times we're living in and uh, the struggles that we're dealing with being business owners and entrepreneurs and everything else that's going on in the world. But I'm excited today, Al. We have a really important topic to talk about today. You know, I really believe it's long been underserved, especially in the employee benefits market. And I have some personal experience with obesity in our family, and I see the struggles. So we're really pleased to have Dr. Sasha High on the show. Welcome, Dr. High. Hi, Robin. And hi, Al. Thanks so much for having me. Great to finally meet you. I'm saying it in quotes, in person, (laughs) over Zoom. Seems like all our meetings are over Zoom these days. I'm just going to go quickly over your bio because you really have an extensive experience when it comes to the topic of obesity. I think it's important that the listeners can understand your background. So Dr. Sasha High is a medical director of the High Metabolic Clinic. She was born and raised in Ottawa, Canada. She first undertook a Bachelor of Sciences from the University of Ottawa and then completed her medical doctorate in internal medicine residency at the University of Toronto. She served as chief medical resident at Mount Sinai Hospital in her final year of residency. She is certified as American Board of Obesity Medicine Diplomat. Uh, she also holds a lecture appointment with the University of Toronto. Dr. High has a special interest in nutrition and has taken several courses through the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine and the Noakes Foundation. And she has experience in treating metabolic diseases rooted in insulin resistance using low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diet, and intermittent fasting. Dr. High has undertaken mentorship and additional training in cognitive behavioral therapy. That's a big one these days that we're seeing, especially with people uh, during the pandemic. And acceptance, commitment, therapy, ACT, to help patients with sustained lifestyle changes. She has been practicing bariatric medicine since 2013, helping patients manage the disease of obesity and associated conditions. She is passionate about seeing people live their healthiest lives. And I, I love that last line. That's very similar to us. We want to we wanna help clients in any way we can to live their best life. And so I think the, what you're doing is incredible. So let's dive into it. And I think the obvious place to start, Dr. High, is what is obesity and why do we need to talk about it in the first place? Yes, great. Okay, well, obesity is a chronic medical condition. It's a real disease, and it's not just a problem of willpower or lifestyle choice. And I think that's the basic premise, like premise number one that I want all of your listeners to understand, because we as a society still have so much bias when it comes to body weight. You know, we think excess body weight is a failing on the part of the individual, and that clearly they lack willpower, it reflects on their character, and we all have 
you know, a lot of negative judgments that really need to go. And that starts by understanding the complexity of this disease. And I want to say that it's not altogether surprising that weight is still viewed as a lifestyle issue because it wasn't until 2015 that our own medical authority, the Canadian Medical Association, finally formally recognized obesity as a disease. So what is obesity? Well, obesity is defined as excess adipose tissue or fat tissue that's causing impairment to health or function. So it's important to realize that we can't diagnose obesity just by looking at a person with a larger body. And in fact, there are many people with obesity that you might look at and they don't necessarily have a larger body and yet fat tissue is causing complications like diabetes or fatty liver or high blood pressure. And sometimes when we say the word obesity, you know, people have a very distinct picture in their mind of a certain body size. And yet I have many, many people in my practice who don't necessarily have a larger body size outwardly. And likewise, there are some people who have larger body sizes that don't necessarily have health complications. So it's more complicated than just someone's body shape and size. You touched on an interesting point there, and it's something that I can speak to personally and, you know, watching my brother struggle with obesity over the years. And, you know, you touched on the bias and people's perception. Maybe I can even use the word stigma. And he never told me this. I had found this out from another family member. Uh, you know, my brother was crossing the street one time. And of course, he, he struggled with obesity for a long time. And, and it has affected his mobility. So maybe he wasn't crossing the street fast enough. And, you know, some young person had yelled out of the car, hey, you, you know, such and such. And you can imagine what that person said. And the effect that that has on, on someone who is struggling with, you know, maybe their, their own self-image and their health, you can imagine just what that does to how they feel about themselves. Absolutely. It is really difficult. A lot of people with obesity face judgments from other people. They face, you know, stares out in public. They face people saying really nasty things to them. And you know what? They also face their own biases because a lot of these people believe themselves that it's their own fault. And that's where we have really failed as a medical society, because I think we've been part of that for a long time, because we also, for many, many years, we were saying that eat less, exercise more message, which essentially was saying like, if you can't do this, if you can't eat less and exercise more and manage your weight, well, it's your fault, you're failing. So really we understand far better now how complex this disease is, all the different factors that are involved that cause disrupted body weight regulation so let me give you, you know, some examples of what is causing increased body weight in our society. Firstly, it's really important that listeners understand that this is genetically determined. So there is a strong hereditary component to increased weight. And, you know, when we understand that, we can start realizing that it's not a person's fault. Then there's our environment. We are in this crazy food environment where there's processed food everywhere. There's these food-like substances that aren't even real foods. And these foods are engineered by the food industry to play on the areas of our brain that drive desire and motivation to go get food and have more of it. So for example, sugar, flour, and high fructose corn syrup, which are prevalent in all of our processed foods, they have a very strong effect on the reward center of our brain that drive us to want more and more of the foods that contain them. Okay, so we have this genetic predisposition, then we have this environment, and then we have medical factors. So some medications that are prescribed to people for other health conditions, depression, diabetes, steroids for autoimmune disease, for example, those can all lead to excess body weight as well and weight gain. 
And then finally, there's psychological factors. So COVID-19, we're all living through this global pandemic, and that's caused a lot of stress. And stress contributes to hormonal disruptions that can lead to weight gain. Then we have poor sleep. We have emotional eating. So there's all of these psychological factors, and the psychology of eating behavior plays a big role as well. And finally, there's social factors. So just the fact that we socialize around food and it plays such a central role in celebrations and human interaction. So it is really complicated and we can't just be telling people to stop eating donuts and hamburgers, right? It is way more than that. Well, it's, it's interesting. You touched on items there that I've had a couple of conversations with a number of people during COVID-19, especially people's stress has increased. And of course, Almost everyone I talked to has said, oh, I've gained weight during the pandemic, right? Because, you know, stress and maybe stress eating and, and maybe not getting enough exercise. And the other one is sleep. I mean, most people that I'm talking to, their sleep has been affected. So you're right. All of these things, especially if someone is already struggling with obesity and maybe their, their body image, that's just going to make it that much tougher during this time. Yes, absolutely. So what stress does, just to give you an understanding, is... We have our executive function, which is where we make planned, logical, deliberate decisions in life, but stress depletes that executive function. So we're essentially operating from this place where we're kind of like a battery that's been half depleted. And then you throw on some poor sleep and you deplete that even more. And so then when your reward brain kicks in and says like, no, that ice cream in the freezer is going to taste really good right now because you've had a long day. We just don't even have the capacity to inhibit that prompting because our executive function has been depleted by stress. So, you know, it's, it's complex. The brain is very much involved and it is really a biological condition. Yeah. Your colleague had actually sent me over some more information about obesity and, and, and one graph in particular, or, or one infographic that really stuck out with me was the complications uh, associated with obesity. And, you know, a couple of them, maybe I, I, I would have thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Greater risk of, of major depression, higher blood pressure. But then some of them, and I had no, no idea of, you know, uh, higher risk of coronary heart disease, increased risk of certain types of cancer. So I guess the message is obesity on its own isn't just one issue. There's many chronic health conditions that are linked with the obesity out there. That's right. Yeah. So when we talk about obesity, we want to think about how it's affecting health and function, right? And you can think about it in a few categories, three categories, the three M's. So the first is the metabolic complications of obesity, and that would be fatty liver, type 2 diabetes, um, heart disease, and many more. There's mechanical complications such as osteoarthritis and just decreased mobility or being able to function because of body size. Obstructive sleep apnea is a big one as well. And the last one is mental. So you mentioned, you know, mental health disorders, mood disorders are in increased prevalence in people with obesity as well. And then the one that, you know, many people are not aware of is the increased cancer risk. So we know that things like colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, endometrial cancer for women, those all have increased risk in people living with obesity. So there are a lot of complications. And I want to be sure not to leave listeners feeling discouraged. So the good news story on the flip side of that is that it doesn't take hundreds of pounds of body weight lost to improve health and reduce risk. And what we now understand about this disease is that even modest body weight loss, so I'm talking 5, 10, 15% body weight loss, has very significant clinical benefits. You'll see improvements in blood sugar, you'll see improvements in sleep apnea, improvements in fatty liver, 
just with modest body weight loss. And that's the good news message that people need to hear because sometimes it can be very daunting when we're thinking about managing weight. Sure. So Dr. Hi, can you, can you talk a little bit about um, the treatment uh, for obesity? I know one of the things you said at the very beginning was, and that kind of caught my uh, attention was, you said a lot of this was really just genetics. The message that, that we've been used to hearing about more exercise and eat less really doesn't apply because, again, a lot of it's genetics. So can you, can you get a little bit into the treatment for obesity? Yes, absolutely. So the first thing to know is that there is not one treatment for obesity. You see all these ads on TV and on social media that, you know, they have the answer to weight loss. And it's just not true because no one's obesity is the same. And the thing that I find really interesting about someone who treats obesity every single day is that this is a very heterogeneous disease. So what I mean by that is the cause of one person's obesity is completely different from the cause of obesity for another person. And the only thing that these people really have in common is perhaps that their body size is larger. And yet their experience and the cause and the treatment plan is going to be entirely different. So one people may have had obesity from childhood and it's entirely genetic. Another person, they experience abuse in their teenage years, and then they learn to cope with their pain by turning to food. And, you know, that's led to weight gain, and they're struggling with emotional eating and binge eating. And then another person, you know, could have been a marathon runner, and then they had a motor vehicle accident, and that led to depression. And then they developed obesity after that. So, you know, no one is immune. This comes at any stage of life, and it needs to be addressed on an individual basis. And you can imagine that saying eat less and exercise more to any of those people that I just described is not going to work. It's just not the right treatment, and that prescription has failed for many, many years, and it has failed many, many people. So number one, there's no one treatment. Number two, there is no cure for obesity. And we talked about the fact that this is a chronic disease. It's typically progressive and relapsing as well. So that means that adults you know, generally will gain weight each year through adulthood, and unless they're really working to not gain weight. And then weight loss attempts are usually met by weight regain, and that's because our brain really defends against body weight loss. And there's a whole lot of physiologic responses to body weight loss that cause the regain. So when we think about effective treatment, we need to think about this as a long-term solution. If someone finds something that works to manage their weight and keep it stable, they need to continue that long-term. The moment they think, oh yeah, I've reached my ideal weight. I can go back to what I was eating before. That's the moment that their weight gain restarts. And, you know, I can talk about weight treatment for obesity in kind of four pillars. So the four pillars are, number one, behavioral skills training. Some people call that lifestyle modification. The second is mindset coaching, which some people will call cognitive behavioral therapy. And the third is medication. The fourth is surgery. So I'm happy to go through kind of each of those four pillars. Let's start with behavioral skills training. For many, that's sort of a euphemism for eat less and exercise more. Count your calories, make a deficit, hit the gym, go for a run, you should be able to manage your weight. But learning behavioral skills for managing your weight long term is about finding a helpful dietary plan that works for you, that works for your family, that works for your lifestyle, one that you can stick with long term. Learning to make mindful choices when it comes to food, reading labels, figuring out what foods are really triggering you and maybe you need to avoid. Behavioral skills also is about learning to incorporate activity into your daily life. And that doesn't necessarily mean hitting the gym. It might just mean you schedule a walk three times a week, you know, for an hour, or you make sure that every night you're going to bed at 11 PM, for example. So that's the behavioral side of it. 
that really needs to be backed up with the other three pillars. Because unless we understand that the brain is going to fight healthy behaviors because we are evolved to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and do what feels good in the moment. That's just how our brain has evolved. So we need to back up all of that with addressing mindset, possibly medication, and then surgery. So when I say mindset coaching, the reason I call it that is because we need to address the psychology of eating. But when we say cognitive behavioral therapy or psychotherapy, I feel like that just makes it really unattainable and inaccessible to a lot of people. Because the fact is that there are not that many psychologists or doctors who are providing cognitive behavioral therapy for weight management. And so many people are not going to be able to access it. But when I say mindset coaching, you can read books about managing your thinking. You can find podcasts about managing your thinking. It's really about getting to the bottom of what are the false beliefs that you hold that may be derailing you from healthy behaviors. So I'll give you some examples. We will have thoughts that give permission to behaviors that really are not serving us well. Oh, you walked 30 minutes today, so you deserve to eat this snack right? So we have these thoughts, they sound very true, we follow through with them, and then that's leading to overeating, for example. So that's called a permission thought. And then the other category of thoughts are self-defeating thoughts. So, you know, stepping on the scale and having the thought like, you only lost two pounds and you've worked so hard at this. Like, what is the point? This is hopeless. You're never going to lose weight. You know, I'm not going to keep doing all this hard work. So that's a self-defeating thought. And inevitably, these kinds of thoughts will really derail people from their weight management plan. So when we start to recognize our thoughts, notice them, then we can start to decide, is this thought really serving me or not? And is it a thought that I want to give power in my life? So that's kind of what I mean by the mindset coaching piece. Pillar number three in weight management is medication. So in Canada, there's three approved weight management medications available. And these are medications that treat the underlying biology that contributes to weight gain. Two of the medications, the more effective ones, actually act on the brain in the areas that control our energy regulation, weight regulation, and our drive to eat. So they affect the central control of weight. And they can be very, very effective as adjunctive tools to behavioral and cognitive treatments. So the way I describe the effect of medications to my patients is that if you can imagine right now you have these urges that are like an eight or a nine on 10, and it takes a lot of willpower to try to not give into these urges. Well, the medications might dial that down to like two or a three so that you can stick with the healthy choices that you want to be making because your brain is not driving you to eat the cake or the chocolate. And then when I say this, I know that there are people out there thinking, well, this is just cheating, right? Like these people just need to have stronger willpower. But what these people who are thinking that don't understand is that studies have found that the brain of someone with obesity will have more reward activation. So more motivation to go out and get highly processed foods or high sugar foods or high fat foods than someone who doesn't have this disease. So their brains are really just driving that eating behavior. Medications will allow the brain also to not have that freak out, that physiologic response to weight loss that really favors the regain. So that's where medications are important. I'll touch on the last pillar, which is surgery. You know, bariatric surgery is a really good tool for people with advanced obesity, but it's not accessible to a lot of people. It's only accessible to about one in 170 people in Ontario who really need it. And there's a lot of biases around surgery as well. People think it's the ultimate failure if you have bariatric surgery. And yet, if I told you that you had cancer and we needed to do surgery to cut it out, you'd be like, yes, doctor, like I want to have the surgery tomorrow. 
right? And yet, you know, if we say surgery is really going to help treat your obesity, there's so much reluctance. So it's a good tool. It's not a one-stop shop. Surgery needs to be combined still with the behavioral interventions and possibly even medications to keep the weight off long-term, but it needs to be a consideration. Obviously, uh, Dr. Hyatt, we deal with uh, a lot of our clients that are employers. Um, so yeah. this is all great information. I'm, I'm sitting here uh, taking it all in and marveling at actually how much information you have about it and learning a lot of stuff. So why do employers need to start thinking about obesity differently? Employers need to think about obesity because it is affecting their workforce and it's affecting their bottom line. So I can confidently say that obesity is affecting their workforce because it affects nearly 7 million Canadians. So that's one in four adults, okay? And studies have found that people with obesity have increased absenteeism from work, so missed work days. They also have increased presenteeism, so functioning at less than full capacity. It's not only the obesity, but it's the health complications. So imagine someone with obesity and significant sleep apnea, and they're coming to work having woken up the night before, like, four, five, six, seven times. So really interrupted sleep and they're coming to work like that. And that's just one example. Obesity also has a very high economic cost. So we have data that's actually really old from 2006, but even at that time, the cost was estimated to be about $7.1 billion in Canada. And that's both direct costs, hospitalization, doctor's visits, as well as indirect costs like absenteeism from work. A recent study called the Action Study found that employers, about 55% of employers, are aware that obesity is an important health condition. Employers want to be helpful to their employees, but there's a little bit of a disconnect in how to do that effectively. You know, many employers have wellness programs, and they do believe that it's going to improve job performance and employee satisfaction, so they offer gym memberships, or they have some healthy food options in the cafeteria. Sometimes they have, you know, six-week weight loss challenges and things like that. So this action study found that about 76% of employers believe that these wellness programs are leading to successful weight loss attempts, but then only 36% of employees agree. So I think bottom line is that employers need to have a little bit more of an evidence-based approach to supporting their employees with obesity and understand that it is a real health condition. So how can they support their employees in managing it? You took the words right out of my mouth because obviously within our practice, I look after employee benefits for all of our corporate clients. And, and that was my question. And I'm sitting here as an employer myself thinking, what can I do to better support the employees that are living with increased weight? Because you're right, Dr. High, if, if it's 7 million Canadians, and that number is staggering to me, then almost every client I'm dealing with likely has someone struggling with obesity within their firm or a dependent of theirs that is that's struggling with this. So mm -hmm. employers definitely need to find ways to better support these uh, plan members. Yeah, absolutely. I think employers really need to start by looking at their benefits plan. If we recognize this is a real health condition, then we need to have coverage for the four pillars. And one of the biggest challenges that I face every single day with my patients is getting access to the care that they need because their benefits don't cover it. So for example, they need to have a multidisciplinary approach. This is not just go to your doctor. This is go to your doctor and receive support from a registered dietitian and possibly you need a psychologist as well. And so the benefits plan really needs to provide coverage for those additional supports. And then the benefits should really cover the weight management medications. There are still many insurance companies that lump these medications into the lifestyle category of drugs. My patients can't get coverage for them. And that is a huge problem. And it doesn't make any sense, right? So companies are going to cover the diabetes medications and the high blood pressure medications. And yet 
if we treat the underlying obesity, even with a modest weight loss, we can see improvements in those other health conditions. So I think these small tweaks with the benefit plan to provide better evidence-based coverage can really make a difference for employees to get the care that they need. I think we do have some good news because I know for a fact, Dr. High, that several of the leaders across Canada of of several uh, insurance carriers do listen to this podcast. So all of you who are listening, pay attention. This is a real health concern and certainly something we should be addressing through employee benefits because you're absolutely right. Generally, or in the past, this has always been covered under lifestyle medications, which as you probably have found out, Dr. High, isn't covered a lot these days. You're right. A lot of people are going to be lacking the coverage that they need. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, thank you so much. I don't want to take too much of your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. What's the best way for people to reach out if they have any additional questions or they have they themselves or, or have a dependent who is struggling and, and need to access some help? Absolutely. So people can find me through my website. The clinic website is called highmetabolicclinic.com. And my info is there, the clinic information. We love helping and supporting and treating people with obesity. My mandate is to provide excellence in this sphere of medicine because I think that it's traditionally been treated by the commercial weight loss industry and it needs to be treated properly as a proper medical condition with evidence-based care. So we are really passionate about doing that with excellence and compassion. So my website again, highmetabolicclinic.com. That is awesome. I love your message. I think the work that you're doing is fantastic. So that does it for another show today, folks. I really enjoyed today's conversation. I hope you did too. As always, we appreciate your feedback as it helps shape the direction of the show. Please feel free to reach out to myself, Al, or Dr. High if you have any questions, or join the conversation on LinkedIn. And remember, it all starts with one.